Welcome to the Global Mission Awareness Podcast, Kingdom Family Talks. This is episode two featuring Leif Hetland and the GMA team, where they share testimonies and highlights from their most recent mission trip to Cuba. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Leif Hetland, the podcast of Global Mission Awareness. I'm Alicia Edwards, the partner coordinator here at Global Mission Awareness. And my co-host. Hey, I'm Scotty, Scotty Wilson. Uh, I am uh, the executive administrator for Global Mission Awareness and also have the privilege of being the personal assistant to Leif Hetland. And we're also joined with the man himself, uh, Dr. Yes, Leif Hetland, Leif the president Hetland. of GMA. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, today on the podcast, we are going to um, be giving a brief recap about your recent Cuba trip. Um, both Scotty and Leif were on this trip. So, well, let's just get started. Um, Leif, you have been in Cuba. Um, you've been going to Cuba for over 16 years. What first motivated you to connect with Cuba as a nation? Now, I think it was two primary things. One of them was uh, uh, I've always had a heart for the darkest places in the world, kind of the least, last lost. Mm -hmm. So eventually I was looking for a place that was a little bit closer mm -hmm. to America. That was probably in the, the late 90s. I started 98, 99 feeling that stir. And Cuba has been on my heart for a long time, but mm -hmm. it kind of got on my radar, moving a little bit from the Middle East and also started to target. And then eventually as I watched the news and I heard different things, something was stirring in my heart and my spirit. Well, I eventually decided, let me just go on a vision trip. I was invited several times to go, but, but I didn't feel I was supposed to. But at this time period, let me take a trip. Let me just kind of uh, travel around the nation, capturing God's heart for this nation. And I think I was in love the first time I went there. So that's almost 16 years ago. And that trip did something with me. I saw a nation that was different than any other nation. But I think... Also, I started to get the heartbeat of Papa God for that nation because mm -hmm. I don't think I would beat the way I am today if, if I didn't. Part of part of your love for that nation, I think, um, is connected to a story that you've you've shared with me, and I think it would be really great to share it with some of the listeners. Is the story of Alejandro Nieto and the significance of your relationship in connecting with him as a father of the nation of Cuba and and passing that mantle, if you like, to you. Um, at the end of his life. Maybe you could just um, enlighten us with that story. Yeah, I, I had been going to Cuba for quite a few years, met denominational leaders, met people from the government. I mean, all mm -hmm. aspects of society because to disciple a nation, we try to both, uh, we're very focused on uh, solving some of the problem on a grassroots level, but to bring transformation, I knew we have to influence the influencers and somehow add value. I need to connect with the fathers of the nation. Over a period of time, I heard that name Alejandro Nieto coming about. So I've been asking God and connecting with some of the people and say, hey, would it be possible to set up this meeting with this Alejandro Nieto? Because there was some stirring taking place and many mm -hmm. conversation talking about he, he was such a key to that nation and he carries something that nobody else carried. So it was kind of a little bit process before the day came when uh, I, I finally got the invitation. And in the invitation, they said, hey, he, he would like to meet you. And I remember it was both a little bit nervousness and also an excitement, but I knew it had a significant, and, and it was about to have a very significant impact on my life. Mm. And with um, with that, so, so Alejandro Nieto, he was a leader of, of Cuba. He was a leader of the churches in Cuba. 
Yeah, sort of. He was a he was a pastor of a church, which was the largest church in the nation. But he was also head of a denomination. He kind of followed in his father's footstep. So he was, as well as he was a gatherer in regard to other fathers of the nation, meaning with other uh, kingdom leaders in that nation, he he kind of connected with them and, and had become a voice over a period of time. He had paid a price, and as a result, somehow mm-hmm. his oil had been costly, including now, when I met him, he had stage four cancer that wow. had eaten him alive, and he had had all these surgery. So I still remember the first time I saw him, and he came into Malia Kohiba and his weakness and mm. even with a morphine pump. Wow. But he was so weak. But as I've mentioned before, I never forgot it. But as soon as they came in, we were just sitting there waiting in this huge, huge room. You could probably have 200 people in there. But I felt before I saw him, I saw the atmosphere change. Mm. And we could feel it the ones that was in there. The whole temperature, the atmosphere in the room changed. And finally, I saw this person very weak and somebody else assisting him, bring him into this room. But it, but it had an incredible impact. One of the probably two greatest impacts I've had in regard to meeting someone. And so I, I felt mm. also that... <laughs> The temperature, whatever he carried, changed the temperature and the atmosphere in that room. And it was tangible. And I remember you telling me about the fact that when he was uh, part of part of one of your meetings with him was him actually, uh, I suppose, releasing an impartation to you for the nation of Cuba and, 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 and in a way handing that mantle over. He wanted someone that captured his heart for a new Cuba, his heart for a vision of Cuba that actually was was open to the gospel. Yeah, actually, the, the meeting that time was supposed to last 15 minutes, the first meeting we had, and close to two hours it ended. And wow. I almost felt sorry for him because, yeah. again, I mean, he needed a morphine just yeah. because of pain. But part of his story was just how seven leaders all these years earlier, 17, 18 years earlier, had been on a mountain, and this glory cloud came over them, knocked them down. And as they were on the top of that mountain and this glory cloud came, God started to speak, and he spoke about this revival that was going to come. First, it was going to be a visitation. Mm. And then later on, he said that, that there was going to come another move of God's spirit. And he started to talk about the future of some of the things that God had shown him. And the first thing actually happened, there was a revival after they came down from the mountain that spread all over like a wildfire all over Cuba, where there were signs, wonders, and miracles. And people, miracles started happening in towns and wow. cities, everywhere. And then uh, he's mm. described that he had up to seven services a day, seven wow. days a week. Mm. And so literally what happened was they pretty much was burned out. And then mm. kind of the fire started to stop because mm. either some people were persecuted. They left the country. Some of the leaders, it's almost like you have all these babies being born, but you didn't have fathers and mothers. Mm. And that mm. captured his heart. And he said, I'm going to invest the rest of my life to raise up because I saw another move of God's spirit that was going to hit the nation. And when that hit that nation, he said, we need to have fathers and mothers because we were not ready for the first round. And so he had then 17, 18 years later, even when eaten up by cancer, he had never forgotten about this encounter. And he was still raising up leaders all over the nation. So it was probably the third or the fourth trip that I saw him at his home that he laid hands on me and one of my spiritual sons with me and he imparted to me. So I, I know that something took place. It's almost like here's the torch. Mm-hmm. This has Keep been my heart. With it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I release the Father's blessing for you to take this torch. And I know I'm not the only one. There's other mm-hmm. people and people that have paid the price before me. But it was just a, I, I realized there was a responsibility. I realized God was doing something. 
and just based upon even the history of what they have experienced, I knew my focus, my yes, uh, was easier also for me to say no to other things. And that's part of the reason that I have been very focused on continue to go back, continue to raise up that the very dream that he had, I had a vision for it. Now I've captured and I have a dream. And now a lot of other people have a vision to it. So I saw uh, what he described the future was going to look like. Since then, all these years afterwards, we've been positioning ourselves, believing it was going to happen. And today we see some of the manifestations of it. I think that's something very significant, you, you know, in a sense of him connecting with you is the, the need to raise up fathers and mothers. Mm. And that's obviously the heartbeat of, of GMA and, and your ministry is, is the family of families and activating and awakening fathers and mothers, um, which is what your, what your calling is, um, and what your heart is for. So I suppose, what, what does that look like in Cuba in terms of raising up fathers and mothers? I mean, and maybe, maybe, this is a good opportunity to speak specifically about our recent trip, but what what does that look like for you to actually awaken fathers and mothers in the nation of Cuba? I think the, the first thing is very clearly that we're awakening the hearts to Papa God as their father. Wow. Let him first be the father, because unless you're capturing his heart, what I saw in the nation, they knew Jesus and half of the denomination and the structure knew the Holy Spirit. But before I met Alejandro here, I didn't see people that knew the father. Mm. So even there, they wouldn't even look at these people as the fathers in the nation. It was pretty much a fatherless nation. So the first thing that what we started to do was releasing a baptism of love so that they could experience, actually, Papa God, he loves you. He likes you. He delights in you. So place after place all over the nation, we start to release this baptism of love and they mm. got to meet Papa God. They got to meet the good, good father. And that started to bring the first shift. Then the second is, how do you become a son and a daughter of this father mm-hmm. instead of being an orphan? So it was probably the second kind of a stage. And the third stage, now as sons and daughters there, how do you also, even in flesh and blood, how do we live this here? If God is a family, father, son, spirit. So that was starting now to going in this beautiful, unique process of going from an orphanage to become a family of churches. And sons and daughters, as they're focusing on that, started to grow up, become fathers and mothers. And that's what we got to see on this most recent trip. I think, um, yeah, I think, I mean, as Alicia alluded to, I was obviously on the trip and I I think it was my first trip to Cuba. Um, It was very much an eye-opening experience. And um, in a sense that I think, I'd never been in a country that was, to use the phrase, maybe so well-preserved in a way, not necessarily in its original form, because obviously I think it was after 1959 that that really things started to become quite preserved or or slowed slowed down in terms of progress. But uh, it was, for me, it was very much there was that hunger for family from a cultural perspective, everywhere we went, whether that was in one of the churches that we were visiting or whether it was actually just within community, there seemed to be this hunger for community and hunger for family in a sense that, you know, they're very relational culture. They're a very relational people. Um, they're very fun, uh, vibrant culture. And disp- I think that's in, in spite of the oppression that they've had from whether that be their own government or external governments, they're, they very much have that vibrancy of a culture. And I think that that was something that was very, um, it communicated to me that they're very receptive to that 
that family model of the kingdom and the family model of, of, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit in a sense that they, they really are very welcoming to that. Um, what, are, what are some of the things that you saw? I mean, the, the, we had some amazing experiences with some different leaders that are really stepping up to that mantle of fathers and mothers. But what, what, do you, what were some of your experiences in terms of, um, you know, whether they be new, new leaders that you connected with or some of the existing relationships that you have? What were some of the, I suppose, highlights for you in terms of seeing those people step into their destiny as fathers and mothers? I think that part of uh, one of my highlights, we had a large team. And uh, the team was a variety of different people that did not know each other. Many of them are not necessarily directly been around my my life, my culture, and, and live this way together like many of us have. So to be able to travel across the country with this team, like the first place we came there, they didn't they didn't know about Papa, they didn't know the Father, they just knew Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and they have one apostolic paradigm, but without the family paradigm. But I think that one of my highlights was to watch the team to see my wife being part of this which is significant if not you only get to see one angle of the on, mm. of the message but to see a father and a mother together yeah so that was their first yeah, was time exciting. of all these years yeah. yeah and then also to be able to see some of my spiritual sons and daughters or other ones as just friends that came alongside on the trip and then to watch how we we served one another but also to serve them and honor them and value them so it was one of my highlights was to see a group of people that are coming in from different parts of the world, hardly know each other. We didn't have much time. Like in the Philippines, we spend usually a couple of days just in the present and the glory with a team before we do anything. But we didn't have much time. And including you, Scotty, just organizing this team. You've never been in a country before mm-hmm. and taking the details and administrating yeah, and yeah. making sure because it's, it's not like any other place where you just can kind of say you take A to B and it's sort of here you get a lot of more curveballs. So I think to see that dynamic living without attention and to be able to for them to be able to see that because we did see environment changing every single place that we went so i think that probably was my highlight it was not just the watching because not always do i have a large team but to watch them spending literally hours hugging and kissing and loving and ministering and to see uh, just little the transformation taking place in the atmosphere. So that's kind of some of my father's heart. Instead of what I do is now to see what they do and to be able to see that this is working. And I think it's also important for the Cubans to see that. Mm-hmm. They've seen me most of them for a long time, mm-hmm. but now they got to see a lot of other people also yeah. represent the same love. See the family actually come and represent, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, Scott. So, what was your what was your take on the trip? Being part of a large team with such diverse backgrounds, how, how did? Tell me a little bit from your viewpoint, like what it was like for you, because you were you were with that team most of the time. I don't know if you were both always with the team, but mm. you basically kind of were helping lead the team. Yeah. So my role um, my role was essentially leading the team. Um, from from all of the logistical side of thing right through to to relationally connecting them and 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 uh it was it was it was really hard um being perfectly honest it was uh, i mean i've led a lot of different teams and and been in a lot of different environments but i think it was challenging for a number of reasons i think as leif alluded to it's not your traditional place where you know you, you and book accommodation for 25 right. people and a couple of buses and and off you go it, it uh, i mean it took us five weeks just to find the five hotels um and uh you know and that that was a lot of work 
Um, so it was really logistically, it was very challenging. Uh, and there were a lot of curveballs that, uh, that we didn't expect. And there were some that we had sort of expected. Uh, and so that obviously puts un, unnecessary strain on, on the team and on, on, on everything. But, uh, all of that aside, um, we were very, very blessed. We had a phenomenal team. We had 22 mm-hmm. people from outside of Cuba coming in. And, uh, and then we had three, um, Cuban nationals. We had, we had two of our, um, our key leaders and then we had a translator and pretty much from the outset we really had just this incredible unity um, as a team and and, uh, you know obviously with people from different backgrounds and different stages of life you have cliques and different kind of you know dynamics and there was some of that but we really were blessed with a team that had a just they didn't really have an agenda other than to experience Cuba and to release love that's really what their agenda was there wasn't really any hidden agendas behind anyone there wasn't really any manipulation or any complaining and you know pretty much from day two we started having some pretty serious curveballs mm-hmm. um, and and they were very gracious they were very accommodating and I think that that team dynamic really led us to be able to see what we saw and experience what we saw because if you don't have that um, attitude of humility coming into a place like that then you really aren't going to receive as much as you possibly can and it's also going to restrict you from being able to give. Um, and so I think we were really, really blessed with that team dynamic. Uh, I think something that really uh, astounded me was in the midst of all of my organizing responsibilities and that kind of thing, seeing how different people within the team, their different gifts and their different mm-hmm. heart actually really made a difference. And the fact, and it really was a, for me, it was a model of family. It's kind of what you were just saying, Leif, about your highlight for the trip. Um, it really was a model of the family ministering to the family, if you like. So the mm-hmm. family of our GMA team ministering to the family of Cuba because we started to express our own uniqueness and our own um, gifting and our own heart um, for ministry and for, in, for each other as a team mm-hmm. that then trans, you know, transpired into into our ministry setting so that was really really special to see you know we had we had people that you know really were almost like a grandma of the faith kind of coming in and uh, you know if that particular person's listening I think she knows who she is but um, we also then had mothers and we also had sons and and that wasn't necessarily respective of age you know Mm -hmm. different people were able to step into those situations and and really, you know, move in that way, which was very, very encouraging for me. I think it was encouraging for us as a team, but I think also it was something that modeled really beautifully to mm-hmm. the people we were ministering to, to see that unity and to see that oneness, which was, which was really special. Yeah. Okay. Let me throw the ball over to you, Scotty. Um, because I was just thinking, but because we talked about what we did minister to them, but in which way would you say that the Cuban and the greater Zoe ministered to you? Mm. That's a mm. yeah. What what did you learn from them? What was some of the message you left with from their life? I think um, that's a really great question. Uh, I think one of the greatest things that I took away from um, both our leaders that we uh, specifically our leaders that we were working with in Cuba, uh, but also some of the people that maybe maybe only encountered for an hour or two in a particular ministry setting is they carry a tremendous amount of humility. Mm-hmm. Um, they really do have a heart to serve um, as people. And I think that, that whether that came across from our, our translator 
whether it came across from our drivers or whether it was, you know, even some of the mummers that were making, you know, preparing meals in the, in the churches and the homes that we were visiting. Um, just an incredible sincerity in their humility, but also an incredible sincerity in their heart to serve. And I mm. think that that is really, it was so easy to see Jesus in those ministry environments and in those people because it was really that heart to serve with not really a desire to be recognized it's and it's i think it's very much it's almost like a cultural ease with which they adopt that servant uh, mindset and that that humility that it's they have such a value on family um because you know i think in their culture and in in their unfortunately in their oppression there's been that we have to stick together you know mm-hmm. and i think that culturally that really translates to being a very fertile environment for the fruit of the spirit and 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 anything to do with the kingdom really coming in and permeating that culture because they almost have this um, uh, preset environment that is really ripe for that to be planted in. So for me, that really, I was just very overwhelmed with um, culturally how they carry humility and they carry that sincerity of servant servant-heartedness um and i don't think it was uh fabricated just for our visit it was very genuine very authentic and it wasn't even just people in a ministry setting i saw it in in our hotel staff i saw it in people in the street people that were just you know i remember walking around havana uh on our last day and uh, i was walking around with one of the other team members and and two two separate um Cubans came up to us and said, Hey, what are you doing here? What, you know, you're not from here. You know, they wanted to know where we were from. But then they said, Oh, well, do you know what to go and see in, in Havana? Oh, well, let us give you some directions. This festival's on. This festival's on. You should take down here. You should go down here. You should check this out. You know, and one lady walked past us in the middle of nowhere and said, Oh, I recognize you. I saw you in a hotel two days ago. You know, you checked <laughs> in here, blah, 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 blah. And it was just incredible to yeah. see that genuineness yeah. of just wanting to connect relationally. And that was, it was very humbling um, as well that, 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 that that's just their way of life. So, yeah, that really blessed me. Yeah. Alicia, you should have seen one of the first places we ministered uh, because of a lot of our curveballs. We mm. were probably three, four hours late. Mm. And without air conditioning, they had already been in that heat for those hours. So by the time we came there, these hours late, because we were supposed to have a seminar that afternoon and then the service, mm. and we didn't come before the service. They'd been there in that heat and also that continue to worship and praise. Mm. So I just even thought about that. We talked about two things, hunger and mm. childlikeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was also two words that came to my mind that to see that hunger and that appetite. Uh, I think in America, the speakers not here, they are not here and people will leave. And, but here they just hours and hours, they just waited in that heat and continue to worship, continue mm. to praise. And when we got there, they still had the same appetite and hunger, perhaps even more than before. Wow. Yeah. And the second thing is just every place, and we are here, the testimony now a month later, is to see that the atmosphere has changed. Mm-hmm. And we could feel literally from the time you came in to the different settings, yeah. and there's within eight or hours or a day, you could you could feel the atmosphere changing. So I think that was another one of those uh, highlights in regard to... Uh, Hearing the stories and the fruits in regard to the, what years ago would have taken 
a long time now in a very short time you connect with people mm. through relationship mm. and then as a result there's a, it's almost like the soil is ripe and the soil is ready they are, they're ready to receive this and both healings and miracles mm. and salvations and, mm. and especially the baptism of love it was very very easy it was just it, it was almost kind of a just prepare food and hungry people just came and they ate it with a good good appetite and they knew also how to to get the nutrients out of what what our team were there to bring so that was another highlight for me mm. Y'all had uh, mentioned and shared with me uh, the story of the church who had, I think it had been going through a lot and you had, you came into this church and I don't know if it's the same one that you were just referring to, but you came in and, and the team shifted the atmosphere in that church. Can y'all elaborate on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it was a church um, that, that I think Leif, you visited a number of times and, and uh, one of your spiritual daughters is now sort of a, a leader over that, that church. Yeah. Um, but they had just built a new building. They were actually in the middle of building the new building and we, we were able to privilege to sort of have a little um, pre-visit, if you like, in one of the downstairs areas and we did church one night. But there was, I remember walking in there and, um, and, and there was this, this weightiness, this almost heaviness of oppression um, in that congregation. And it wasn't that they, they were depressed or down, but it was just, you could feel something in the atmosphere that, that mm-hmm. was, was downcast. And maybe you, maybe Leif, you want to share a little bit about kind of what you saw happen in terms of. Yeah. And I, I knew some of the things had been true. Mm-hmm. And I knew mm-hmm. some of the, it's almost like a debt to a vision, mm-hmm. uh, things that they have been building and now it has nothing to do with the government and we just uh, a lot of the things they've been leaving in and some other people I just led to some major disappointments so that's why for me it was very special because I've been there I've seen the dreaming and then you come and it's almost like everything seems to be shattered in some way and everybody was 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 impacted by it but just to recognize because I knew that from our team and from everyone first of all was to was extravagant worship mm. and i think that as we started to feel the shift is okay in the middle of everything that's going on uh, and we are looking around let's look up mm. and it was mm. brought the team together with them wow they were just was and they started mm. to look up and people started to look up and we had an extravagant worship there it was both yeah. praise and worship and the present and then the second of all that started to happen was now when we're focusing on him instead of ourselves, that mm. he started to focus on us mm. it's almost like he started That's to look good. down mm-hmm. and from there you started to send sport when when i was speaking and we started to minister and mm. praying both for the leaders and everything else but you literally could sense the temperature differences from a spirit of heaviness was traded for gladness mm. from hopelessness it was traded for hope mm-hmm. from fear it was actually traded in for perfect love and you could see the manifestations mm-hmm. of what was taking place in the front of our eyes as the environment changed and by the time we left there again mass healings was taking place mm-hmm. but the biggest thing the atmosphere was changed mm-hmm. the faces now it was almost like hope defer makes a heart sick yeah. but now they started to dream again they started to desire again and they released the tree of life so that's mm-hmm. what we got to see with our own mm-hmm. eyes yeah i think i mean one of my favorite memories of that night was I was over, you know, Leif was on one side of the room and I was on the other side of the room and we weren't that very, it wasn't a very big space. So we weren't far away from each other, but I, I just sensed in this, this particular song they started to, to worship to and it had a, had a great kind of Latin American sort of beat and I started sort of moving my feet and I looked over and Leif started moving his feet and we both started kind of dancing and then the people <laughs> next to us started dancing and, and then everybody on our team started dancing and I remember looking back towards the Cubans and they're sort of looking at us going, 
who are these crazy people and why are they dancing? And all of a sudden, they, it was almost like our freedom in worship gave yeah. them permission to start so to good. worship in freedom. And yeah. you started to see row by row, they started to, and even on our team, some of the people who maybe were a little more apprehensive in expression started to move and start to dance and something just shifted, something broke out. And I think mm. that there's something incredible about that in a sense that when you're walking into an environment to not only have an awareness of what the the climate is like, what the atmosphere is like, but also know what's within mm. your power to mm-hmm. actually influence and um, and I think that that is really, for me, that's something that I got out of that. It reminded me the power of my own worship right. to bring freedom to others. Not yeah. only does it liberate me mm-hmm. in, in that space and liberate my own spirit in terms of the things that I'm struggling with. I mean, I was tired. I was fatigued. I was hot. I was uncomfortable. I was stressed. But for a moment, all of that fell away because I was in the presence and just mm. being free to worship. And that actually gave something. It was almost like a key mm. being given to unlock other people in, mm. in terms of that. And it was it was a beautiful experience. Now, I just also wanted to say to any listener, uh, one who is a spiritual mother for that area in a sense from the States is a spiritual daughter named Leanne Goff, who, who has been going to Cuba, uh, I think it's like 39 times. But I just, even to lead up to the point that we got the experience, mm. uh, when I found out the journey that she has gone through. So yeah. again, mm-hmm. I just wanted to to say that how I, I celebrate that, that because mm-hmm. the way in the middle of the pain and the process that she walked through yeah. uh, it was connected Incredible. to, it's kind of walking with somebody that is pregnant and it seems mm-hmm. like everything is stopping the baby. But then we getting to come and be part of seeing the water break and then eventually yeah. Yeah. something being birthed forth. So I just even there, many times we're going through pain and processes the way we walk with somebody and everything else through these trimester. Mm-hmm. And it's not just her, but several of the other leaders there. Mm-hmm. So I just sensing the joy of, of, of being around people that mm-hmm. knows how to bear one another's burden, to love one another, to connect instead of disconnect when things is tough. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, sooner or later, then you start to see the breakthroughs coming in. So yeah, and it definitely was that it, it wasn't a sense of, you know, we just came in and flicked a switch. You know, it really was. Mm-hmm. You knew that something had been building to this point, that we had nothing to do with, that mm-hmm. we hadn't done the hard work. We were, as Leif said, we were really just there for the for the birthing of something that had been, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in motion for a, a long period of time. And that, that was an incredible privilege to mm-hmm. be there and see that breakthrough and um, and definitely a very exciting time in, in the history of their church and the history of that family, which is which mm-hmm. is really, really beautiful. Yeah. Well, talking about the birthing and the breakthrough, do you have any more just standout testimonies? Um, I know I had seen a photo, and this is just one of my favorite visual um, little testimonies, but um, do you have any standout testimonies? There was a photo of this little boy um, who you called over to pray um, for this man with a knee. Can you share a little bit about the encounter that that little boy had? Yeah. While, while I just want to because this is what we do yeah. uh, is just instead of them, especially the children watching us doing right. it, it's for them to be part of this and say, no, you do it and me watch you. So let me mm. just, you can do this. Yeah. And just to watch the boy as 
the healing milk take it through the boy he also had an encounter mm -hmm. and eventually that spread into a family encounter his mom was yeah. just blown away you could see he was just weeping and his face was mm -hmm. glowing that led to the mom having an encounter just a supernatural encounter and i think the boy i mean just looked like he had some kind of a heavenly because yeah. literally it was almost like a glow and in the end he grew, he took his arms around and he squeezed and he hugged and kind of wouldn't let go mm -hmm. so i think it had a it had a ripple effect in the yeah. room but for me it was just to seeing that sometimes small is the new big so mm -hmm. this little boy here started something so instead of that there's sometimes that you get to ride a wave and sometimes you create a wave yeah. but sometimes the way it is being created was just one little boy that just with a little childlike faith he just you invite him into this process and then that started to move into this man and into his family and then it's just started a ripple effect into mm -hmm. the room so uh, i think we all got to see just the goodness and the kindness of God in the face of a little boy. And that's why I think that what a reminder for me is just we need to be like a little child yeah. to be able to have access to the kingdom. And I think this child was that the childlikeness mm -hmm. that he was showing all of us adults. Mm -hmm. This is how it's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a little boy and a big mm -hmm. papa. Here's a picture of it. So it became a beautiful picture for all of us, not just that we have that we can look at, but also in our spirit and saying, that's the way the kingdom is operating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one particular um, one particular testimony that really stands out for me is um, it was actually just after that that particular story. Leif was just sharing. Um, a gentleman came up, and he probably would have been maybe mid to late sixties, um, and I could see just based on his eyes that he, there was something wrong with his vision. And he he came up with maybe his wife or his his daughter. I can't I, I can't really ascertain who who, who exactly it was, but. Um, she, she, in broken English, sort of communicated to me that, that, um, you know, he, he couldn't see. He basically, I think he had maybe five to 10% vision if, 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 if best. You know, he, he really, from what I found out later, the vision was limited to the point where he could, he could just sort of make out, um, you know, the outline of a person or, you know, the outline of a car, you know, very, very limited vision. And he came forward and it, it sort of seemed in the chaos of everything that he was, he was almost being left behind or being, being sort of lost. And, um, some of the, just the, just because, you know, so many people wanting prayer, you know, a few people laid hands on him, blessed him, prayed for him, but just sort of moved on. I really just felt like the Lord just said, you know, just, just stop and, mm. and stay with him and just pray with him because he really didn't have any emotion on his face. Um, but it was, it was, the emotion that he did have was in a way almost downcast, you know, like, you know, I've lived like this for however long. And, and so I started to pray, pray with him and pray, pray, pray specifically for his eyes. And I just started, I got this overwhelming sense of kind of compassion for him and, um, not in a, any way of pity, but just in a way that just started to see the way that God loved him and the way that God saw him. And, uh, his wife or daughter or the, the lady that was with him sort of left and then she came back and, and, and I sort of at one point I thought, no, I'm okay. I feel like I've, I've got nothing else to give, you know, like I feel like I'm done in, in a sense of praying for him. And we, we didn't speak the same language. So I wasn't able to converse with him. And, and, um, anyway, I, as I went to sort of pull away, I felt like the Lord just said, no, I want you to stay with him. And so I stayed with him and, um, not long after this, our translator actually came up, and and, uh, and and so I was able to start to ask some questions, and and sort of managed to get to the point where I could say, okay, 
has anything changed? You know, have you seen any improvement? You know, the, the standard kind of pray, but then ask, mm-hmm. you know, and see if there's been a change in your situation. And he very nonchalantly just said to the to the translator, oh, yeah, there's been an improvement. <laughs> and I'm sort of standing there not feeling very encouraged, you know, and sort of thinking that there's been nothing and he hasn't haven't seen any change in his face. And, and uh, he says to the translator, no, I can now see, uh, I can see that projection screen. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, can you can you make out the outline of what's on the screen? There were some images, uh, like a logo and some words, and and he said, no, I can't, you know, I can't see that. And so I said, okay, we're going to pray again. And we prayed again, very quick, just blessed what God was doing, thanked what God was doing, asked for more, asked for increase, and uh, and then I said to the translator, you know, has anything changed? And he said, yeah, I can now see that there's a, an icon and there's a word below it. I was like, come on, yeah. God, this is awesome. <laughs> awesome. And so we prayed again, and and uh, I I was wearing a I was wearing a navy shirt with white spots, mm. and he he turned to me and he said through the translator, he said, I can see now that there are white spots on your shirt. Mm. I was like, come on, this yeah. is awesome. So we prayed again, and you know, being perfectly honest, we didn't get to a hundred percent. We got to the point where, you know, I prayed probably five or six times. And, and it, I think it had got to maybe, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate it. So maybe let's say 70% better. Um, you know, but he could now see not only the outline of the projection screen, but he could see different colors on the screen. He could see the outline of the word, the outline of the logo. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, w- I was honored to be part yeah, of that. It was, it was incredibly exciting. And for me, it stirred something in me, you know, it's probably five years since I've seen a miracle like that. To be mm-hmm. perfectly honest, and um, but also five years since I've felt really motivated to just stay with someone and mm. just really connect with that person, um, in that particularly unique way, and it was really really encouraging for me. It was obviously encouraging for him. I mean, he had a big smile on his face yeah. when we left, and he <laughs> he 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 felt loved. So um, yeah, it was that for me. That was a really yeah. important lesson to just stop. Um, you know, I know Heidi. Heidi Baker says it, and, and it's always stuck with me. But stop for the one, mm-hmm. you know. And for me, that that whole night, he was my assignment. He was, he was that yeah. one that was there in front of me. And the most important thing, whether he got his sight back or not, was did he experience the father's love? That's mm-hmm. that's the key. Um, and I think he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, yeah, so that was that was a great reminder for me of how simple it is. Just mm-hmm. stop and stay. Don't be distracted by the multitude. Don't be distracted by what everybody else is doing. But you know that person that God's put in front of you, that could be the only encounter they have with God that day, right. you know? And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was a beautiful moment. Mm. Yeah. How do you feel, um, the significance of partnering with these leaders? What do you, what do you feel like the significance, um, in the relationship that you would have with your key leaders in Cuba? What do you think the significance is going forward in these next few years? I, I think it's a very similar to what we see pretty much anywhere else in the world in regard to, uh, I don't know, see as much partnering with leaders as, mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as I saying, I have spiritual sons and daughters that are fathers and mothers. Right. So when I go there, I'm not a visitor that is helping. Mm-hmm. Just it's, uh, mm-hmm. it, they are part of our family right. and they're part of families of families. They're connected to our family in Pakistan. They're connected to Philippines. They maybe felt isolated and some they've not met. Mm-hmm. But then also even to watch some of our key leaders come here to our event in Atlanta yes. and then going back. So yeah. there's mm-hmm. a synergy going on as a family together where they are from both our family going there. So mm-hmm. that's a difference than before would be the family. And I think the the exciting part of that is now to see that because they have captured 
first got as a family, but they've also captured how to be a family. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see in the small, but we're seeing not just visitation, but we are literally seeing the atmosphere changing. I'm yeah. talking about visible that our team could got experiences. Mm-hmm. You can drive through all these side roads and there's holes and there's this and that. Mm. And then you come into their street. It's different. Mm. You can see it in, so it's visible. You can mm-hmm. see this clinic that was broken down. Uh, but now people there are seeing what can we do to open up a clinic to bring a blessing to the community. Mm. So there's all these tangible and visible things, how heaven looks like on earth through family. So that's what we get to be partner in. And this is what we get to invest in and to be part of. So that's that's what excites me is that uh, in Cuba that we see in the micro, but then now when we see it, it's becoming a model. And that's what we showed all over the nation of Cuba. Mm-hmm. They have traveled all over the nation telling about what God is doing in their community, their family. And other people wants to be part of this family. And uh, so my blessing and my joy is that we are, some of the things that Alejandro Nieto said mm-hmm. he dreamed of is becoming a real, reality. Some of the things he was seeing happening with Cuba, we see in the micro possibilities of how that nation can look like. So if this not just getting that, that fire that is burning, getting a little bit wind on it, it can spread all over that nation. And with that now, it's kingdom people, sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. They can disciple a nation, not just people. That's what excites me with this family. Mm. They, the potential is there because God is so omnipotent, but also they are standing in relationship with other people all over the world. And I think they are living love. They learn how to love well, to honor well. The very culture of heaven is what they have represented in their homes, but also now moving into every area of society and it's mm. being visible. So that's all the things that makes it unique when you go there. You are seeing somebody that is actually, they're living their life in their culture, in their context, the very thing that you have dreamed of. So so, so your vision is actually becoming a reality and you see that as you're coming there. So they've been very faithful. They have uh, they've stewarded things well. Mm. And that's the biggest encouragement for me is to be able to, each time I'm coming there, to see even in the small details from the overhead to the building to mm. streets to life to every area when I'm around their people the leaders you can see wow this is how family looks like mm. this is how love yeah. looks like this is how honor looks like mm. I think that's something that um, you know particularly meeting some of these people that you've been in relationship with for so many years but also seeing some of the new leaders that you connected with on the trip uh it's it's really a very clear reminder that these are the people, these are the missionaries to Cuba. You know, mm. we, we might go in for seven, ten days, whatever, whatever. But uh, the real missionaries to Cuba are these fathers and mothers that are really raising up a new generation and and presenting a new way of life, a new a new a new set of lenses, if you like, of what's possible. And I think that that is really a very for me, it's a very clear reminder of what my calling is, what my purpose is, and perhaps what GMA's purpose is in mm-hmm. terms of w- we're there to serve and, and lift up and equip um, yeah. the in-country leaders and really the people that are carrying the heartbeat of a nation because mm-hmm. they are nationals. Um, but they are, the, they are the most effective evangelists mm-hmm. in that nation. And we can really come in and encourage them, bless them, whether that be with you know some financial aid and um, that is a very, very important part about what we do, but also covering them in, them in prayer, but also just sitting there and listening to them, helping them strategize some things, just encouraging them, getting to meet their families. I mean, f- for me, that was some of the greatest highlights in terms of just 
um, both some of our leaders in Cuba that I had met previously, they'd come to Atlanta earlier in the year and being able to connect with them, but being able to meet their boys, meet, being able to meet their children. And same with some of the other leaders meeting their children and connecting with their family. I think for them, it's a, you know, it's a huge encouragement that someone would travel, you know, not just one person, but 22 people would travel from outside of the nation, um, to actually come and just serve and encourage and bless them. And I think that that is an incredible reminder of, um, the power of partnership mm. with with places like Cuba, but also other nations where we actually go in and, uh, you know, I think, Leif, you said it once that you, know, you go to a mission field, but actually you walk away feeling f- more full mm. than you, you've, you've actually received more than you've deposited. Yeah. And I always feel like that when I go on a short-term mm-hmm. mission trip, you know, I walk away and go, whoa, you know, like I feel like I gave and gave and gave, but I actually feel like I received and received and mm-hmm. received. Um, and and I think that that's um, – it's incredibly important to go in with a mindset of humility, um, but also that mindset of, well, I help you to be the best that you can be mm-hmm. and you're also helping me in return to be the best that I can be. And I think that's the beautiful part about the family model is that it really does cause that kind of unity and that, that – that interdependence mm. um yeah so that was that was really beautiful yeah i just want also want to mention that my wife jennifer is saying this was her first trip to cuba mm. and i love jennifer's been with me to africa and southeast asia different parts of the world but this time to cuba but she said next time i'm going there I'm going to feed the poor people, the elderly mm-hmm. people, which you pretty much also saying that maybe we were part of a lot of exciting things, but also just to, to, she would love to go back again and just kind of a living the life with them. And that mm-hmm. also tells me a lot. Let me just, when Fridays, when you are feeding them or when you do this and so, I mean, just living the life together with them. And that's a different for all of us of what we do is life comes before ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The relationship comes before the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Family comes before mission. We do mission and we do have responsibility, but I think it's just that's kind of the uniqueness of this is let's first come and, and be together and connect together and have yeah. relationship. And then out of that, what can we do together and it, without any agenda? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the fun part of being part of this family. And even just to see my wife, then how she blossomed in the mm-hmm. middle of that and, mm-hmm. and became a mama that they have not, some of them had met, but a lot of other ones hadn't either. So, so life, I suppose, um, Many people that are listening to this maybe are short-term or long-term missionaries or have a heart for the nations or a heart for a mission or a heart for the least and the last and the lost, which is obviously our heart. Um, how would you encourage them to connect in with this family model? Like what does it where, – where, where's a good starting point for them to understand this model of not only mission but also – um, ministry, if you like, whether that be in a church setting or whether that be in a house or whether that be in your marketplace um, ministry. Maybe maybe you could touch on what it is in terms of rather than, uh, to use your language, rather than looking for fathers or mothers, but actually learning how to be a son or a daughter in that setting. Now, I think that the starting point, and I think for a lot of us that has been involved in the previous model, like I did until year 2000, and then I had a baptism of love and became a son in year 2000. I became a son of Papa God, and Papa God became my father. So I think that a lot of the work that we've done in the nations before is what we did for him instead of from him. Mm-hmm. We were achievers instead of receivers. Mm-hmm. What he said, ask of me, and I will give you the nations. Mm-hmm. So the nation was always gifts to be received 
received. Yeah. And it was always a family paradigm. But what we did, we tried to create organization that was focused on what we needed to do instead of a family that focused on what we needed to be. So I think that the model that God started to put in place, first of all, that he he is a father of the nation and Jesus is the desire of the nation. Mm. And for God so loved the world, for God so loved Cuba, for God so loved Pakistan, it, it, it is motivated with his love. Then if he loves, then we start to love what he loves when we receive his love and we start to love nations and our motivation is love and we have authority over what we love and we only have authority of what we love. So when we start to fall in love with a nation, we capture his heart. And in the next moment, we need his wisdom. We need his power to accomplish it. The other thing is that we start to see is then we're recognizing who is fathers and mothers in the nation. Mm-hmm. So then uh, we start to honor fathers and mothers and life starts to flow. Uh, so I, I look at the churches not as an orphanage, even before they become a family and mm-hmm. you start to treat them as family. You honor them as family and you're coming in as a son and daughter. That's what you mentioned, Scotty, to serve when you're coming in to serve. So mm-hmm. even there would some of my leaders that see me as Papa Leif or Daddy Leif, uh, I coming in with a spirit of sonship. It mm-hmm. is like my daughter Lila is married and she and Rayvon, when I coming into their home, I don't go in and tell them what to do. I'm coming in with the spirit of serving my daughter because that's her home. So that's also a way of living, even as fathers and mothers in this. It's not a hierarchy system, but it's a mutual honor in the way the father honors the son and the son the spirit. The spirit honors the son and son honor the father. They're always pointing towards mm-hmm. one another. And there's an incredible also synergy in this when we are coming together as a family. Each one carries something to the table. So if you have 12 people in a family, I can eat from 11 other plates that I didn't have before mm-hmm. because each one comes with their special sauce to the family table. So if you have a team then going and it is a family team, then this family team, instead of competing with one another, we start to complete one another. So it's a whole different way of living and it's a whole different way of loving. And it is also a whole new way of receiving nations Mm -hmm. as an inheritance. That's what Psalm 2.8 is all about. That's awesome. I think there's some very practical, tangible kind of points to start with there. Um, I think... One of the one of the things is to recognize that uh, when God gives you, God gives you a vision, it's usually not in isolation, mm-hmm. um, and to actually be open to people that either have a similar vision or perhaps have a piece of that vision to actually activate that. Um, and I think that that's the beautiful mindset of of the family paradigm is that it's actually not in isolation, but it's actually in community that mm-hmm. we can start to see the kingdom come and the, and and unfold so um, i know we definitely saw that in cuba um with not only our team but also in terms of the relationships between the team um and 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 those that we were ministering in cuba so yeah it's definitely exciting season we've got a we've got an opportunity uh next year to go back to cuba um what, what what's your heart's desire for the next season in Cuba in terms of what you have the the ability and the authority to release in that nation? I think it is a, it's a twofold. One of them is we have a history in Cuba. We have the relationship. We have a family there right now. Now the two things that I would like to see, one of them is to see Cuba not just as a mission field, 
to see Cuba as a mission force. Wow. So now it's more connecting. The focus so far to a certain degree has been is to set up an infrastructure to be able to put family together. And we have that together. There is a, there, there's fire in them and they are flames where they will burn brightly without burning out. Mm. But now that the, the brightest fire and the, the most shining light, we want also to connect that to the darkest places in the world. So our commitment level or our covenant level is to making sure that even as we're going back again next year, it is to come in there to, to continue to equip and to impart and to be able to partner with our family there mm-hmm. and to continue. And something happens with us as we do that. Yeah. But the secondary in the near future is now also for me to be able to connect them as I've been a bulldozer, the different parts of the world, the darkest places in the world. I see that God is raising up revivalist, culture changer, history makers in Cuba. I remember about 11 years ago, the first key leader in Cuba came to me and says, one day I'm going to be there in Pakistan with you. One day I'm going to be able to leave the country. And now all these years later, it starts to become an opportunity. They start to be able to have passports and Mm -hmm. they're going to be able to go to places I couldn't go. So I see that a lot of my dream is also being fulfilled by seeing them capturing the very heart for the darkest places in the world. And it says, mm-hmm. hey, I'm willing to give my life. Like somebody gave their life so that I could have the gospel. Now I'm going to be willing to give my life to yeah. ones that has never heard the gospel. And to be able to see that they have captured that. It's not something that I have kind of a force within them. There's something as they capture the DNA of us mm-hmm. as a family that they now are saying, can you help us to connect us so that we can be part of this mission force? So they're asking, but how can we give away what we have now, not just what we can get? So there's still a lot to be done in Cuba. But also part of my dream in the future is to bring Cuba, bring the world to Cuba, but then also bring Cuba to mm. the world. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. So great. Well, thank you guys for joining us this afternoon. We want to always um, give you an opportunity as a listener to um, engage with Global Mission Awareness or become a partner. And you can do so by visiting our website at globalmissionawareness.com. And um, you can follow us um, on all of our social media as well. Um, and Leif, I, before we leave, is there anything that you, any final comments you have or anything that you want to release over our listeners today? I think I just want to release a prayer and yeah. I release a blessing, a father's blessing to unlock some of the dreams and destiny that is in everybody's heart. So Father, I just thank you that your heart is a heart for nations. You are the one that said, ask of me and I will give you the nations. I know, Father, there's people that will maybe never leave America or leave Australia or leave where they're at in regard to going to the nations, but they are still part of what you're doing and what you're blessing. I thank you, Father, for the ones that has been praying. I thank you for the ones that has been giving and the one that has been going. I thank you, Father, that's going to be an equal share. But I just want to release like what you did to me to spread that mission virus, June 6, 1995. It became contagious. I just want that mission epidemic to start to spread. It is a mission of love for God so loved the world. God loves everyone so much that he sent Jesus. Father, the biggest desire of my heart is for every one of the 7.4 billion people in this world to experiencing a God that looks just like Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit. Just come, Holy Spirit. And just fill, fill us up with the very heart of the Father. And then we will say yes to the investment of our time and our talent and our treasure for the unfinished task. The gospel to every person. And then to see a family of churches in every nation. 
In Jesus' name, amen.